This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about digital interfaces in AI and how they are impacting the customer experience for good and for bad. It's a harsh reality. So many customer interactions have been replaced with digital and automated interfaces. For example, many businesses are now using bots to manage simple inquiries in order to reduce the traffic to call centers. You can also pretty much buy anything from the comfort of your home with a digital device, from online storefronts to direct-to-consumer websites to Amazon to DoorDash to online banking. It's all at your fingertips. You can also ask Alexa to do virtually anything from order groceries to give you vacation ideas. On paper, businesses may hope this altered customer experience will help facilitate customer purchase and repurchase of their brands, all while reducing costs and improving efficiency. But there is a downside. By digitizing the customer experience, you are putting your customer experience in the hands of an algorithm versus an immersive customer experience. Yeah, and I'll jump in here to say, you know, in the old days, which makes me feel like I'm 100 when I say in the old days. But in any case, um, a person would walk into a store. In theory, that store is designed for that customer. They can look at the products on the shelf. They can pick them up. They can feel them. They can smell them or their smells being pumped into the store, music, all that stuff. And they can compare. But unfortunately, the world we're in now, and especially now with COVID, it's very digital. And so that flattens everything, which unfortunately for all the businesses out there creates a very commoditized effect. And what we see happening is the brand can lose control of their relationship with the customer, especially when customer behavior seems to be changing to where they think they know what they want or they actually do. And so they're going online in price comparing, which is what they've done when they used to go to the store first and pick, now they're not going to the store to choose. So it leaves a gap and just makes brands have to work a little harder, unfortunately. Yeah. And this is further exacerbated by the somewhat one-dimensional ability to portray your brand digitally. Everything is predominantly visual, although some are finding clever ways of developing a sonic identity. And we're going to talk a lot more about that later. And for those of you guys who don't know about sonic identity yet, it's the use of sound as brand elements. But with such limited immersion, it's really difficult to create that emotional connection, which leads to the brand love and loyalty. And when 90% of decisions are led by emotion, that can be a real big challenge. And what's more, if your digital interface is subpar, you can actually create a negative customer experience, creating a liability for your business. But we all know digital interfaces and AI are not going away. So we wanted to highlight four realities about digital interfaces and AI that can help improve your customer experience and rise above the rest. But first, we have a special guest today who's going to give us a lot of breadth and depth to this topic, and that's Brian Bolton. Hey, Brian, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, guys. Yes, thanks for having me and uh, happy to join. Uh, you know, I'm excited to, to participate in today's conversation and I bring a couple of different experiences to help bear. The first being working for uh, the B2B commerce division of eBay Inc. back in the mid 2010s uh, called eBay Enterprise, which no longer exists. It's been split up. Um, but, at, you know, the day is, is, is the leading um, sort of consultant and then helpful uh, white label pr provider of of uh, commerce solutions to, to enterprise level companies. As part of that though, there's also been a lot of depth into the direct consumer recently. So my last position has been 
as a marketing leader at Smile Direct Club based out of Nashville. And, you know, as a DTC uh, brand and company competing against uh, other, other very similarly priced and very similarly offered in terms of features and functionality, um, how do we actually, you know, differentiate ourselves without actually filling, touching five senses uh, as well? So those two experiences probably provide a lot of insight. I've had the chance to work with a lot of other big brands, some we'll talk about today as well, heavily in the, in, in the brand space, uh, not as much in the AI space, but uh, th those, those are having to um, sort of transition to the AI space today and, and providing that customer experience at scale in a way that provides personalization um, as much as possible again. But there's those risks that you talk about, um, and you know, we end up uh, getting more frustrated than, than, than happy. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. All that breadth of experience is going to be so incredibly useful for our listeners who are going through a lot, a lot of those similar things and a lot of the similar frustration. So without further ado, we're going to get into the four realities about digital interfaces in AI that can help you improve your customer experience. All right. So the first one, I'm going to take this one because I have a personal point of view on this one, a very no, specific personal you? point of view on this one. <laughs> All right, guys. So Amazon marketing is an oxymoron. And yes, you guys heard me right. And, and this is a really, really important one for you guys to really grasp here because digital sites like Amazon are destination purchasing platforms, which means people are shopping elsewhere. They already know what they want. They've already looked for it. They've already decided when they get to Amazon. And what's more is that these plugins Amazon's now using actually do the comparison shopping for you, which makes it even easier to make the decision, but actually not shop. And this is a really important distinction because people spend a lot of money and effort trying to game Amazon, which is actually virtually impossible with their algorithms and lack of visibility to the analytical data. And you guys, if you've been working with Amazon, you know that, that they don't share their data. And what's worse is that if you are actually selling a product that maybe one of your other vendors is selling, they can undermine you in the buy box <laughs> if the other vendor has better pricing. And I've seen it happen. And it's extremely, extremely hard then to measure the success of your sales, the success of your turnover, and what's working and what's not. And the reason why is because Amazon can use that data to their own benefit mm -hmm. in order to be able to prioritize what they want to prioritize within the Amazon marketplace. So it's really, really super critically important that you really know where your consumer is vetting your industry, and it's not on Amazon. And then you want to market there. So your website, your any kind of ratings and reviews, influencer content, in-store, word of mouth, all of these marketing channels that we leverage in order to build our brand, and we're going to talk a whole lot more about brand today, guys. The, the more like those things that you talk about brand and you, and you actually showcase your brand, that is where people are going to make their choices. Well, and I would just add, too, that Amazon's not only not sharing their data, they're using it for their own advantage to then compete with their own lines of products. So, like, for example, they've they brought clothes right now. That's, I'm sure, based on all the research they have, they were able to deduce that that's a competitive advantage for them. And so now you're competing directly with them when they have insight into what people are buying, what they're paying, all of those types of things, which automatically gives them the upper hand. Yeah. yeah, just to chime in real quick, you know, one of the first casualties we saw at eBay was our one of our largest clients was Toys R Us. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they were completely beholden to, to distribution through Amazon uh, prior to the development of their own uh, commerce platform, e-commerce platform. And that was a, that was a game changer uh, for Amazon and for Toys R Us in two different directions. And, and obviously, you know, where, where, where TRU is today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah, the ability to, to own your own data is just as important. But Amazon, obviously, being the big shiny red apple, you know, you can get massive distribution, fairly seamless logist- back-end logistics, you know, good cost structure. Uh, typically, margins are intact. But that's all short-term gain for potentially a long-term pain. Yep, yep, yep. Good point. All right, our next point here, your back-end and front-end tech must be optimized. Brian, I'm going to let you take this one. Yeah, sure. And we sort of, we sort of touched on this, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you know, think of it as, as if we're a retailer. So even though you may have no retail locations, no floor space, you know, no, uh, you know, um, front end employees, if you will, uh, there is still a, an experience that that is considered "quote unquote" the last five feet. So if you come from a retail background, you know that everything you do up until the last five feet doesn't matter if the last five feet fail, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going into a mall and the right size isn't there. Even though you've researched it and you've spent all the advertising dollars and you've created the great uh, product line and you've got it, you know, um, produced in time and you've got it to the distribution warehouse and you've done everything else you needed to, and the pricing's right and the sales promotion's good and everything else is fine. If all of a sudden you walk into a store and it's not there, you turn around and walk out and everything you've done up to then is gone, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, things I tell my, my teams in the past is, People don't buy just because you wrote a really good deck, <laughs> right? They so, don't? What? You know, yeah. So the ability to execute is critical. And so when you're talking about e-commerce, when you're talking about direct-to-consumer and, 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 and a complete, you know, quote-unquote virtual experience, you need to treat that with a retail mentality. And therefore, your, your, your front end and your back end must be tied together. So when we used to do customer journey development for COOs, CMOs, and CEOs of Internet Retail 250 companies at eBay, um, you know, we had to speak two languages. We had to speak what does the consumer journey language look like, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit more as the conversation goes on. But also, what is the technology language that has to connect there as well? Because there's no one cares that someone's in charge of email, someone's in charge of uh, social or digital, someone's in charge of advertising, right? Those are all departments or teams in most most uh, organizational structures, but they all have to be connected. And mm-hmm. just like that, they have to be connected on the, on the technology back end as well. And and so you need to make sure the processing speed and, and you're minimizing the number of clicks to purchase, like, you know, two-factor and, and combining that with safety and security with two-factor authentication. So how do you make this as easy, as seamless, as proactive as possible? So payment platforms, automated updates and notifications, all those push things, uh, the right offer at the right time based upon triggers, um, you know, drip campaigns through a CRM, all of that needs to be tied together. And so one of the big things that has happened over the past, I'll say, 10 years, but really uh, most people have now just sort of start there automatically only in the past maybe three or four is the development of customer journeys. And we're going to spend mm-hmm. some spend some time there. But that customer journey needs to be both back-end and front-end optimized so that the, the experience as a customer, right, is completely as seamless as possible. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point with like the departments or the number of steps and kind of that tension between making sure that you're meeting business requirements, but also keeping in mind the customer. I think it's a 
it's not to be understated how hard that can be, but I think we do see so many companies do a bad job of that, quite frankly, and just kind of put it out there like, well, that's re- what's required, which to your point is then when customers drop off. Yeah. And, and, and you know, two, two reasons why that happened a lot. And I know, you know, our audience isn't necessarily our, our internet retailer, 250 big brand people, hopefully some of them, mm-hmm. uh, but also a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, startups, smaller, small business type folks as well. It doesn't really matter. What typically happens is we're in such a rush to work on this one thing mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. To, that, that once that's launched, we immediately start working on the next big one thing. And we never optimize for the original one thing. Mm-hmm. And that, therefore, all of a sudden, we're, we're taking two steps forward, one step back. And two, we're doing one things one thing at a time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This channel, that channel, the other channel, instead of saying, okay, I need to maximize this part of the journey. I need to maximize when someone hears about us for the first time, what are the seven different questions that are going to typically have? How do we answer them the most uh, efficiently? And through what channels, right? Marketing, the, the holy grail of marketing is the right message through the right place or right channel at the right time. Mm-hmm. Throws three things. Speaking so, our language. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you get those? Well, living it, you know, getting, you know, having, getting a lot of input, capturing a lot of consumer data. And that's where it doesn't have to be complicated. Even if you're a small business owner, that's asking your customers straight out, or like sending them a little email survey and giving them a coupon, to, you know, if it's a thanks. Like it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it has to be giving you insight to say, Here's where people are getting frustrated with when they're interacting with with me as a brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And it, it kind of drew, bring to mind the saying, and I used to get told this a lot, which is once you get a yes, stop talking. <laughs> you know, so like get to the closure, because I think, too, on that back end, uh, we get so enamored with the sale and then trying to upsell and increasing the basket size that, you know, a lot of businesses then fail to close the sale because people get so frustrated by that time and drop off. So those are, you know, fantastic points. Okay, then moving on to our third point, don't underestimate the power of sonic strategy and sonic identity. We mentioned this, but April's going to go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, so just as a reminder, for those of you that aren't aware, sonic strategy and sonic identity is the sound associated with your brand. So any kind of sound, you know, you probably automatically think like jingle, but it also can be the voice of the personality. It can be little, you know, trigger sounds here and there that, you know, can some tone. kind of experience. What'd you say? The IBM tone. Yeah, the IBM right. tone, all of those do, kinds do, of things. Do. There yep, we right. go. <laughs> um, so in any case, this is a really powerful tool. And we already talked about the fact that because we're no longer in three dimension and we're not shopping at shelf anymore, it's hard to find the places that you can really stand out and that will work hard for you. Uh, but sonic and sound is one of those things that we feel like people are not utilizing or at least not uh, consistently and well and across all the options. Uh, just a quick plug here, our friends at, at Gwen Sound, which is who produces our our podcast. Um, they are experts at this. And so they've helped us kind of pull out some key things to talk about here. Uh, but if they were here, what they would be talking about is number one, memorability. So sound is the number two attribute that's linked to memory. So that's recall. That's, you know, that's why like you hear a song and you're like, oh, I can be picture myself in my grandma's kitchen and she was singing along to this type of deal. 
Um, and the reason for that is because, yes, it makes an uh, emotional connection. It reminds you of something, but it taps into the senses in a way that triggers kind of the ability to be right back there in that experience. And also the fact that sound is a universal language. So sound and music transcend cultural boundaries. They transcend, you know, actual languages. I mean, I know a lot of the big brands that I worked on over the years, you're trying to figure out how does this translate and what does this translate into and and all of that kind of stuff. Does it work here? Does it work there? Well, because sound is so universal, you don't have that barrier. That's another reason that it just, it holds up so well and mm-hmm. so consistently. Um, another thing we often talk about is the stickiness of it. So sound being the glue that holds stuff together. I'm, I'm laughing and, you know, you can probably hear my smile and my voice. I hate the term stickiness. So <laughs> Anne made sure to put this in here and it's give the jab at me words. that I have to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but I will give the credit where credit's due and the fact that sound really does become that because it's, it's not front and center necessarily. It's not yelling the message at you, but it's there in a way that it can really gel the experience in a way that does doesn't happen without it. And so that's just one of the areas that we feel like is not being properly leveraged. People really haven't dug into it in the digital world we're in and leveraged it like they could be leveraging it. Um, and like we said, our, our friends over here at Gwyn do an excellent job of it. So we've learned a lot about it and talking to them and in our experiences here. Yeah. And just to chime in on this a little bit as well, like, you know, the, the NBC Times I just did and then, you know, Intel inside uh, tone. Mm-hmm. Those have been around for decades. So this isn't a necessarily a new idea, but the execution of this idea has been fairly light. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, at Smile Direct, even in the past 18 months, you know, we've had, uh, led by our creative team, uh, had significant conversations with our CEO and executive team about how important it is to start or end, usually it's starting or end, usually not in the middle, um, with these types of sonic tones. The, the, the debate being, we only have 15 seconds or 20 seconds or 30 <laughs> seconds for this spot. Why would I want to take a second or two out of the, to, to just play this weird, weird sound, right? So um, memorability is, there you go, different word for stickiness. So you can just use that now. <laughs> um, it is certainly important, especially when you're paying so much money for a TV spot that no one wants to really pay attention to. Uh, so so you, you're, you're going to see this more and more, and it is an easy, cheap, very fun way to try and create a brand identity. It is amazing how much debate can go into, does this exact tone equal our brand identity? Mm -hmm. Because that is one of the more subjective conversations you're ever going to have, whether you're a 10-person company or a 10,000-person company. It's a little hard to prove. So you can can try and prove it through some focus group testings and things like that. What is the the reaction that you get? And then you're using adjectives to describe – you know, your, 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 your immediate reaction to these, these notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, the, the, what's the new show that's redoing again. I can name this tune in one note or whatever. Name yeah. That tune. Like there, like that's going to be an interesting thing. It's like, you can see how much people can really attach themselves to just one or two notes. And that's a good proof of, of how that can work in, in marketing as well. So it, it was, a, it was a big effort that the uh, small direct, um, focused on uh, as as currently as last year. Yeah, well, and I I think this is one of kind of the foundational tensions that come with taking the time to build your brand versus getting one more more RTB in that spot, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's, 
this is exactly the type of thing that we're talking about. And I think those companies that are brave enough to leave those couple of seconds and allow the brand some room to breathe and connect with people on that emotional level versus the ones that want to throw in that last minute RTV that you're not going to remember anyway are the ones where we see that successful brand being built and reinforced in people's minds. And then being leveraged across multiple touch points. Mm-hmm. So then even for dis- if you're distracted and you're not visually engaged, being able to then hear those tones and have it spark something, uh-huh. even if you're not exactly in the space that would like naturally connotate that. Um, so I, it's a very powerful sense of our sense of hearing that I think has been fundamentally ignored for the most part, except for people speaking. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely one to be leveraged that could definitely create a, a differentiating factor and a competitive advantage for a lot of brands. And if, you know, that's not enough, if, if anybody cannot like actually recite the baby shark, like, <laughs> and then like, please no, please no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it, it is becoming, it's definitely becoming a, an opportunity, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that the brands who actually truly embrace it are, are really going to be the ones who are able to start to create more of that 3D again in digital, which is right now, like currently, like you said, April, very flat. Yeah. All right. Our fourth point. Bots can make your brand feel less human. So the way that Anne hates Amazon (laughs) is the way that I hate bots. (laughs) Um, I think, first of all, the fact that I love brands, we love brands, we believe in the power of them, the connection happens on an emotional basis. When you add a bot, you are immediately taking humanity out of the equation. Um, So there's that. But I think there's also... The part about putting bots in because it's the new shiny thing or to some previous points that Brian made about, you know, tackling one thing, getting it out there and then not reassessing. I I think this is one of those instances. I mean, how many times have you said speak to representative on the phone or like on your computer, you type in, you know, have someone call me, have someone call me and it never happens. This is what we're talking about here. So You have to be really selective when you're going to use bots. It should be a useful tool that gets people what they need, people, human people, what they need without any hassle and is actually more streamlined than having to make that phone call. If not, you need to have online chat. You need to have different ways of connecting that, yes, may not be super cheap, may not check the box on, you know, some new technology you're trying to introduce, but actually provide a better customer experience. And so some examples here, um, Apple Care, big thumbs down from me. I thought I had made an appointment to go to the Genius Bar. I had not. I made an appointment to shop. I was turned away at the store by a human, which of course made me a little unhappy, <laughs> as you can imagine, just a little. You don't make April unhappy, I... <laughs> just for the record. Um, but that resulted in a bot conversation for 25 minutes to reset my AirPods 20 different ways that didn't work before I was told I needed to be sent to a human representative and then that the wait time would be another 12 minutes. So you can imagine how much I love Apple right now and how how much that has really tainted my experience when I've been a loyalist of theirs for, I mean, since I entered design school and, and got my first Apple computer. So just one of those examples where it's like, if I could have just first of all, been served in the store or at the very least been able to reach someone immediately, it would have changed my mind. 
Yeah. And I, you know, as another example, I'll give uh, DoorDash a thumbs up. Yeah. I All my experiences with DoorDash and the way that they use either their bots, which is actually a very minimal experience. Mm-hmm. Like it's only in, on the very fundamental questions, which is very, very important because most of the experiencers are more complex than the fundamental questions. So I think they've done a really good job of just kind of simplifying a, a, just a, some of the common things that, that can be done very like just transactionally. But um, I was having an issue because one of our local restaurateurs, and I'm not going to say who, um, double charged us. So I got charged through DoorDash and I got charged then through the store. And when um, I was trying to figure out what was going on and it, it and that didn't actually like correspond to the bot questions, they immediately put me to a chat. I had somebody very quickly. She was not getting the interaction she needed from the restaurant. So then she just called. She mm-hmm. called me. And I'm like, who's calling me? And I'm like looking at him like, and it was her. And she's like, this is not happening quickly enough through the chat. We're just going to give you, we can either refund it in seven days to your card or we can give you the immediate credit. And she took care of it. And it was and, and that's not the first time that they have done it that way. So I think that they've done a fantastic job of being able to leverage all of those digital interfaces from bots to chat to actually then like having a human interaction in a way that's really conducive to the customer experience. And I was like totally like just blown away. Right. And just to, to build, you know, the you mentioned you what you couldn't get serviced by a human, you were turned away. Because that's how they were trained as well, right? Uh-huh. So we have a good customer yep. service experience with a human. It's because they have been given the training, the authority, right, and the ability mm-hmm. to actually own that experience and not yep. just sort of recite out of a, you know, you know, a training manual or, or some type of, uh, you know, sheet. Um, it's the same thing with bots, right? It's all, like again, it's, the bot is just a is just a means to the end, and as crude as it sounds, just like the person is. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't train authoritize and you know give that bot autonomy enough to to actually recognize what what is needed in that moment with an empathetic lens it'll end up with the same result it won't matter mm-hmm. so you know that's the key i think with but with, with either one of those and they should work together yes if if and we'll talk about this in the next section but but you know if it's if it there's a lot of re- repeatability that's where bots can bring efficiency no one wants to no no person wants to say the same thing 20 times in a row that's <laughs> horrible people calling you trying to sell stuff over the phone or because they just have to tell the same thing every 10 minutes or every 5 minutes and they just get sick of it right that's you know re- repeatability i think is a key trigger to consider you know when you can make your bots feel more more appropriate and when it's expected as part of the journey. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. The integration, I think, is a crucial point. And I also, I, I totally agree with you with repeat, repeatability. And that really should be part of people's analytics. It's like, how well did this work mm-hmm. this way? And if it you can't repeat success on an ongoing basis, that is not a place to insert bot or some sort of digital interface. But I know a lot of people are trying to streamline the resources. I know, you know, people are, are outshoring a lot of these things and, you know, language can be a barrier, time can be a barrier, let's just or just um, you know, time zone can be a barrier. Um, but you have to really consider, like we said before, the impact it's having on your business. And if it becomes a liability, then that could become a problem. Like if April 
with Apple Care, in she's experiencing this on a multiple basis, and other people are too. Because I can say the exact same story, my daughter can say the exact same story. She's called in, like our whole family can recite the same story. What's that start start meaning about your brand, and how does people start creating stories about your brand then that can be detrimental to your overall brand? Mm-hmm. So I think those are all really, really good points. So those are our four realities about digital interfaces and AI that can help you improve your customer experience. And for the next section, this should be a really good one because Brian's going to be able to go really deep into a lot of these topics. <laughs> um, we're going to give real-world examples um, in industry and situations that um, these really apply in so that you can really understand uh, the, the the broad context that they could be applied. So without further ado, we're going into our In the Trenches section. All right. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. So the first question is, when is a good time to use bots? So we've been bashing bots a little bit, but there <laughs> are good times to use bots. And we've mentioned a couple of these, but I'll just put a fine point on and, and, and then ask him, April and Brian to build. So one is pushing information people may opt into. So it's becoming a really good engagement tool for more like mass CRM kind of um, engagement. So instead of newsletters and that sort of thing, you can use bots um, that people can opt into either socially um, or like even through text. I've seen them Mm -hmm. um, where you can get information pushed to you on a regular basis. That could be a really good, efficient way of conveying information and with the use of bots. Automating your FAQs can also be another one. FAQs are notoriously hard to find um, in websites, and, 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 and they're hard to thumb through. Every time an issue happens, somebody throws in an FAQ. So having to kind of drill down through all those FAQs can be really, really cumbersome and could really ruin the customer experience. So having a bot where you can just quickly put in your question and they quickly respond with the answer or the fact or whatever, um, that could be really, really helpful as well as just general website navigation. I mean, we all know there's a search bar, but for some reason, the search, and this is probably going to go back to another one of your points, Brian, is never quite optimized very well on the website. And so you could search on the website, but you're not quite sure if you're going to get to where you're going to get to and how many clicks it's going to take to get there. So being able to ask a bot where something is and have that bot be able to quickly navigate could be very, very helpful. It also can be very helpful as a personal interface when people have been browsing after a certain period of time. So if you see people on your site and they're really perusing, it's a nice way to then interject with the chat um, to saying, hey, is there something I can do to help? How can I close the sale here? But as we've said a gazillion times already, and we'll continue to say it, if somebody cannot opt out to get a human immediately whenever they need it, you're going to start frustrating your consumer. Now, there's different parts that that can happen for different people, of course. And so you have to really look and see where that drop-off rate is across multiple different touch points. But it's really important not to just opt out of human interaction altogether. So I know, like, Brian and April, I know you guys are going to have points on this. So I'll let you guys jump in. Yeah, sure. So the... 
what I was just visioning in my mind was pressing zero 50 times trying to get a hold of somebody <laughs> fighting a, a healthcare claim, right? Like healthcare is obviously the, the, the one industry we love to bash because they sort of, they sort of earned it um, in terms, you know, in terms of trying to mm-hmm. automate the phone system, automate the claim system, automate the, you know, doctors services, you know, and now all of a sudden you got telehealth, which is supposed to humanize all of that. And that has its own set of challenges, but uh, I think it's, it's on a good, it's on a good start. But yeah, absolutely. Like the, the, the you know, we are the customer. Uh, you, know, you and I and everyone else listening. W- you know, we know when things are, are gonna uh, when things are going bad. At that point, there has to be a failsafe. It's much more expensive for Smile Direct to take an inbound phone call into a customer care team than it is to have you know an automated response system on the website try and you know answer the question immediately. And by the way, eight times out of ten or so. Depending on the industry vertical, or depending on the complexity of the of the relationship of the brand and the customer, that's fine. Like most people are happy. Like when will I get my, you know, when will I get my uh, package delivered? You know, and then you can pull up the tracking and 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 send it through. Mm-hmm. That's good. a lot of questions. Great. You don't need to have a phone call about that. But if it's, you know, my you know my new, brand new item just exploded in my face, I need to talk to somebody about it. You probably shouldn't have to wait fifteen minutes to get get on the phone with somebody about that. Mm-hmm. So there's 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 all sorts of um, uh, sort of behind the scenes uh, cues that these systems now can can do. I know that. Um, uh, Capital One, I used to have a famous story. They, th- their phone system, when you called them, uh, would listen to your breathing. And so the heavier it could detect your breathing, the more mad it assumed you were. And <laughs> escalated your call faster. Um, you know, and, and there are also things, too. Like these systems, obviously, if you're a better customer than others, they're, they're, this is tried and true. We, you know, it may piss you off, but it's totally fair, which is – you know, yes, your your call will be answered in the order received, and except if you're a better customer, then it'll be answered first. Mm-hmm. Right? Like so, that those are those are the types of things that uh, you know sometimes need to be happened for good as uh, and not evil. But it, you know, it, and uh, you know they're they're getting a little better, right? Some bots like okay, your waiting time is 17 minutes, or we can call you back automatically. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I use that all the time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this is customer service and post person experience related, but this certainly can be just as applicable for research. Uh, you know, for, uh, you know, cons- active consideration of your customer um, as they look to potentially purchase from you, not just uh, be serviced by you. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, um, Brian, you mentioned just asking and incentivizing customers. Um, I used to find it really jarring when I would get random text messages from companies that, you know, oh, get a free sandwich if you blah, 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 blah. And at first it was like, this has to be spam, right? But now, I mean, to use one positive healthcare experience, although generally I agree with you. Um, <laughs> recently, with my kids, with their providers, with children's, um, I was constantly having trouble with like which campus, which area of the building am I supposed to be going to? And I'd be fumbling around in the morning trying to get them to whatever appointment. And it was just terrible. And I'd always like chastise myself and say, why didn't I just put the building and the number in my phone? And so now what they're doing is I was able to opt in, first of all to receive text messages. And so I get the confirmation and then what comes back is exactly where I'm supposed to go with each child, which I find to be life-saving and amazing. And I love that automated experience. So I think that that's another piece of it is like, 
where you're able to control the opt-in to your point about asking your customers, you know, I, I feel like a lot of places now are like, should be reach you by email, by text message, by phone mm-hmm. call. At least then it puts some of the control back in the consumer's hands. And then I don't feel violated <laughs> when I get stuff in a channel that I didn't select. Yeah, I mean, some of the best bots out there are Alexa and, you know, and mm-hmm. Hey Google, right? Uh-huh. Like, I mean, those things are are getting really good. They're getting good to the point it might scare some people. Like mm-hmm. they're starting to be really predictive and, and really listening. And there's going to be a fine line in the future that talks about, okay, how much should the bots be, uh, you know, stepping over boundaries? Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, that's the next level, I think, of, uh, of conversations related to this. Well, I think another point to bring up too is that now I'm seeing and I'm hearing, um, mostly when I'm calling, that there's now negative reinforcement for getting a human. So for example, I was calling Duke Energy because we're having an issue with a gas leak. But the first thing I had to go through was, if you want to pay your bill outside of our automated system with a human, it's going to cost you an extra $25. Oh my God. So Airlines doing that too. I find that very interesting. I mean, what are your guys' point of view on, on that? Well, I mean, that infuriates me. Like, <laughs> there is nothing. Like, I remember way back when, when uh, my dad got charged for missing a dentist appointment that he never got a, a reminder about. Like, yeah. it kind of feels similar to that, right? Like, you're penalizing me when it was, it's more on you. And so if I can't get what I want from the system, it just escalates my anger that much more if you're going to penalize me because you have a bad system in place. Yeah. Right. Oh, again, cou- couching it appropriately being empathetic, reading the situation is important, right? If you call mm-hmm. one of these low-cost airlines, if you call Spirit or whatever, they do that, right? If you, uh-huh. if you book your ticket through Spirit on, on the phone, um, then they will charge you an extra fee. Why? Because most people now are comfortable with buying it on, a, on, their, on an app or buying it on, on their site or mm-hmm. what, you know, through a third party, you know, whatever. Um, or they have a travel agent if they're really old school and they pay the fee to the travel agent instead of to Spirit. So, you know, for the most part, that is something that people don't need to do. Now, every once in a while, you may get somebody says, I want that level of handholding, mm-hmm. and there's a service to that. Now, what happens if your flight gets all messed up and you need to reschedule it and they try and charge you then? That's when it goes back to being empathetic, have, having that customer service agent, you know, having the authority to say, well, you're not calling me to book because you could have done it other ways. You're calling me because no other way worked mm-hmm. and therefore I'm going to waive the fee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the good trained agents, the good, the good policymakers inside of a sales organization or inside a customer service organization are going to be able to give that authority to their, to their people. And I've had that, that experience too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and in other places where they haven't been, they've been completely inflexible, then I'd be like, click. Right. Like it just, uh, and I, you know, I'll figure it out on my own. Like, I think I can do it better than you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I, I can see why it infuriates you, but it also, it, it also means there, don't, there is a very small subject subset of customers who want that level of service. Mm-hmm. And that's an extra, that quite honestly has a value. Um, certainly, it's, it, you know, why Spirit doing that? Because it costs tw- 20 bucks to take a phone call versus, you know, 30 cents, whatever, run a website conversion. So, you know, they're, they're trying to cost save. Mm-hmm. But, but there's ways to, there's ways to get around it while still managing the expectations of your customers. And a lot of people are not doing that well right now. Yeah. And I think, again, um, going back to the moral of the story, it's it's very brand oriented, too. Like yeah. for a spirit, I would I would almost expect that. Right. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a 
a lower cost airline. Mm-hmm. You expect that they're streamlining. I mean, you don't expect to get on the plane and you know have full service dinner and drinks and stuff like that. It, it is what it is. But now, and I know that Delta is doing this too. But now Delta does that. Delta like prides themselves on their customer experience. If Delta is going to do that to me, I'm going to be upset mm-hmm. because I'm paying a premium for those tickets. I'm paying a premium to fly on that airline. My expectation back is that. I'm getting treated like a VIP. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it, you have to really consider your brand when you do that too. And again, make sure that what you're doing in the spirit of your business, which is totally understandable, is not a liability on the other side having to do with your customer experience. So making sure that your customer is okay with that kind of exposure. And then also you need to then to shore it up on the other side. If you can't call and make a reservation and your website is crappy and you can't make a reservation and you're going to then force people to call because you can't, your your website can't allow for a reservation. Now you're kind of forcing people's hand. And then like April, you get really upset mm-hmm. people because none of your systems are working right. So I think those are all very, really um, important considerations as you think about the use of bots. But let's go ahead and move on. And we're going to give uh, Brian a couple of these next questions because they're going to be very detailed, tactical questions. And he has a lot of this experience. So, (laughs) Brian, how do I know using digital interfaces and AI will work? Yeah. So, you know, you have to test in everything. The only problem with with this is it, it sometimes requires a little bit more money, a little more time. Right. You, you have to you have to get this this product introduced into its infrastructure. You have to let it um uh, um, you know, roll out appropriately. Uh, you have to you have to give it some time to to see if it's working appropriately. It has to start interacting and interfacing with the rest of the um, pieces of technology that are familiar with that level of experience. Uh, so so it's it's not as easy saying, okay, I'm going to run two Facebook ads and I'll figure out in a week which one's better, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be like, oh, I'll do a focus group to see which ending on these two commercial spots is a is a better you know end card, right? This is a little bit more. A little bit more required. So, this this the approach here, in my opinion, is again. You can probably see the theme. Come at it from a customer experience, problem solving approach first and foremost. So instead of saying what bot do I need or what t- new piece of tech do I need, it's what where are customers the most upset? Where are people leaving my website the, mm-hmm. the fastest? Where are people? Dropping off, um, you know, my, you know, not opening emails anymore. Where are people uh, not converting it, you know, at a rate that I was expecting at that moment in the journey? And so having that insight to say, where are the pain points? And the best way to figure that out, if you don't have the time, money, and and team to go do, you know, big, big journey maps and those types of things, is to just, you know, be the customer, like literally test everything yourself and figure out where things are wrong, and then fix it. And 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 that those are the ones that I would would prioritize first. That's mm-hmm. where I think I can make the biggest impact. Now, will then something else potentially come up? Yeah, right. Like, oh, you've uncovered, you've un, you've, you've solved this problem, but that has uncovered a new one. Uh, so the ability to to be flexible and say, knowing that the constant improvement of my customer journey is going to always be a work in progress is just an acceptance because you only control a very small part of that journey as it relates between your relationship between you with the brand and the customer. So you might fix everything in terms of, you know, oh, I fixed these pain points, but then all of a sudden the customer needs change or a competitive influence changes or a, you know, a, a macroeconomic trend impacts your business like a virus. Right? <laughs> like so 
you, you know, for, we made it by, oh, by the way, a long time without saying that. That was, that was pretty good, I thought. So, um, <laughs> the, you know, the ability to, to always say, okay, wh- where is the, the chance for me to, to, to make the biggest improvements to the customer journey is where I'm going to put my, uh, my, my bets in terms of prioritizing. And I know we're combining two questions into one here. Um, as well as where or I think I should um, know that these might might actually work best. Um, so so you know I'd love to get you guys thoughts on on you know ch- any challenges of that or or examples you might see. And I'm happy to happy to build, but I wanted to turn it over back to you guys first for that. Yeah, I mean I think you bring up a good a good point that's worth emphasizing, which is the set it and forget it idea um, because you talked about you know how things continue to change and you know you chase one problem you get tunnel vision but things are happening around you Um, and so I think in addition to the the customer focus first which I wholeheartedly we wholeheartedly agree with there's also things that happen across the landscape that you can't just turn your back on and ignore. And yeah, okay, we mentioned COVID, like, you know, no one saw that coming or, or not in the way that it came necessarily. But you have to be an organization that responds regardless of how big or small it seemingly is and doesn't just say, yeah, 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 we'll get to that later versus, oh, I'm over here trying to solve these things. But oh, wait, this one's having the bigger impact. So we need to pivot and focus there. Yeah, I mean, you know, here's a small little example, but it's, it's it provides context and color. You know, so one of the small side consulting projects I have on the moment is a startup company out of New York City that is basically flipped the the delivery of of dental traditional dental service, cleaning, X-rays, that type of stuff, on its head. So typically, especially for um, uh, workers, uh, you know, office workers. Mm-hmm. So before you'd have to take an hour off to, to go to the dentist's office, then you have your hour appointment, then an hour come back. So you're losing three hours of productivity and efficiency inside the office. And in some type of, you know, businesses, that's a big, that's a lot of time. So wh- what, what's stopping the dentist from coming to, to the office and setting up in the conference room and, and creating a sterile environment and using mm-hmm. all sorts of, you know, collapse technologies right now, you can literally put an x-ray uh, machine in your pocket. You don't have to wear a metal vest mm-hmm. anymore, or iron, you know, iron vest. Um, you know, you can you can bring all those tools and materials, and you can basically stick it in your in your trunk and and bring it up with you. And so, what's the what's the problem with that? Great. So now all of a sudden, you have this company starting in late 2019, goes from zero to half a million dollars revenue in a matter of 90 days because all these companies you know, are loving it. Benefits managers are loving it. They're getting promoted because they're showing their bosses how they've saved all this efficiency and productivity time, which is worth money to their bosses and things like that. And then COVID hits. So what happens in New York City? Every office building shuts down oh. and still is. So there's this, here's this guy. He's literally invested, you know, lots of his life savings and, and go, gone on a limb to create a new company. And he's done, right? No. Well, what can you do instead? Everybody's working from home. Great. You go call the benefits manager. Why don't you offer this benefit at home? And we'll mm-hmm. do it in their backyard, outside, mm-hmm. COVID-free. All of a sudden, his, his business is now twice as big as before because now people are doing two birds with one stone. Not only are, there, are they getting their teeth cleaned, but now their wife or their husband or whatever, their significant other, and their kids are also getting treatment at the same time as a family. They're just switching out inside the chair in the backyard. And while... The kids are getting their teeth cleaned. The mom is having over her friends at a, at a socially distanced, uh, you know, safe, safe rate to have a literally what's now called a dentist wine party. 
<laughs> now you're really speaking Me, you're, our yeah, language. Yeah, you're talking our language now. You get your teeth cleaned, <laughs> yeah. then you have wine and stand them back up again. Exactly. Oh, that's and then you show them teeth clean, uh, teeth whitening, and it's a whole. It's, it's great. So now, and all of a sudden, guess who their next customers are? The neighbors on either side of their uh-huh. business, on either side of their customer. Because word of mouth just took off, and everybody's having a good time. And literally, it doesn't cost the cust- the you know the um, patient anything more. It's all through the same insurance process and everything. So. Now, you know, that's called quick thinking. That's called pivoting. That's called being a customer service mindset, a customer-centric mindset. And those are the types of things that everybody has to have from a mentality perspective. Yeah, there's no bots involved there as it relates to our conversation today. <laughs> um, but, there, but there will be, right? Now, all of a sudden, you know, he, you know as, as, as volume hits and, and, and critical mass increases, yes, he will have invest, the, the owner of the company will, will make investments into back-end infrastructure that will allow all of that to be automated going forward because that's a repeatable process. He doesn't mm-hmm. need to be on the phone all day reconfirming reservations for families anymore or with business uh, with um, benefits managers. That all can be done now through much more of a, of a automated backend system. That's a fantastic example and story. <laughs> that I think that's <laughs> truly ingenious, truly ingenious. That's, that's somebody who's really just looking for the opportunity and constantly being aware and solving the problem, the immediate problem with the elegant solution that they have. So I, I love that. Brian, I want to go back to really quickly something you had said earlier, because I know this is a big question we get to, and you had mentioned websites and you had mentioned like the pain points on websites. And you gave us a really simple example of how if you don't have a lot of money, you can actually, you know, just be the, co- the consumer or actually have other people be the consumer kind of go through. But if people really wanted to understand the analytics behind it, what do you suggest with re- in terms of analytics? Like where should people look in order to understand those pain points in their website or, you know, their back end or anything like that? Yeah. So, so each, so each typical, um, uh, back end platform, right. Uh, in upon itself will, t- will typically come with a, a service arm, whether that is you know automated or you have an account wrap or something, and they'll give you they'll give you results, right? It's not analytics. They'll give you data. Um, the The challenge is how do you actually incorporate all of that data to understand uh, the, the 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 overall journey? And so a lot of these larger, well, not I mean, there's enterprise level e-commerce platforms, and then there's mid-sized stuff. Um, a lot of people have maybe have heard of Magento. Um, it was used to be owned by eBay. It's now owned by Adobe, um, and it is the largest open source platform, e-commerce platform in the world. So if you're trying to sell something direct to consumer, you know, yes, if you're small, 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 right? You can do Wix or you can do GoDaddy or you can do you know some of these easy ones, you know, Square and and that type of stuff. Big Commerce might be one, um, but really, if if you know if you need a little bit more um, customer specificity. Uh, and not just sort of a an offering, if you will. If you need a little more back and forth, you know, Magento is 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 a leading. They probably have three hundred thousand um, sites on there. Everything from you know local local mom and pop, you know, uh, direct consumer brands in certain towns to uh, what's on there. I think Coach is on there. Warby Parker's on mm. there. Right, those types of stuff. Stuff and and basically, you can use Magento for free, but unless you know what you're doing you know, you can get lost really easily. So a lot of times Magento will set you up with a service partner that will help you then deliver not only the experience, but also then understand the backend analytics in terms of, you know, where are people falling out of the funnel? Where is the drop off off the site experience? How is the site experience driving, you know, any other type of channel experiences you might have if you, if you have those. Um, and so that, that's a good place I think to look, 
not, you know, again, I worked for eBay up until 2015 and I don't work for Magento, so I'm not like, you know, hawking it or anything, but, <laughs> uh, you know, just from my past experiences, we, you know, there, there's, there's thousands of Magento certified service companies in every little neighborhood in the world, every little town. And, you know, you can pay them, you know, basically a little uh, monthly retainer fee to manage your build, manage and optimize your experience. Because if you're selling, uh, I don't know, you know, fancy bottled water, right, you know, artesian bottled water, you don't really want to be spending a lot of time on your back end. You just want to know, is it working? Mm -hmm. And that's where these types of partners can come into play um, and potentially provide value. And they're going to pull in all, they're going to put all, you know, everything you've heard of, the Google Analytics and all that stuff that's free, and then they're going to potentially lock on some additional, um, you know, backend tracking and tools to allow them to to make some optimization uh, recommendations. And that's the difference between, you know, a good idea and the right idea, right? Anybody can come up with a good idea, and especially when you're living and breathing it, you know, a lot of times a good idea is the right idea based upon just intuition. But a right idea gives you confidence that it'll work better than any other idea. That's the difference. And how do you get that confidence? You base your decision on insight. Mm -hmm. And so everybody talks about analytics and data and big data and uh, who cares what that means. All you're just trying to do is just get more confidence in where you're going to place your bets. It's your money. You know, you're, you know you're, there's, a, there's a natural fear to where I should actually spend it. And the only way to overcome that is to have a better understanding on where the next opportunity is and, what, and that next opportunity is typically going to be given to you or, or shown to you by this insight it's going to come off of backend uh, analytics tools tied to, um, you know, service service arm uh, service arm companies, um, to, you know, uh, uh, connected to your uh, your e-commerce platform. And do you like Magento better than Shopify, or do they do different things in your mind? They're, they're a competitor. Totally like yeah. them uh, both. Um, you know, I could tell you more about Magento than I can Shopify. Um, Shopify is great. We actually use Shopify at Smile Direct Club. Um, for our e-commerce platforms uh, site, so you know they've come a long way. Um, so that's another another great one, um, uh, certainly to, to heavily consider. And it's similar too, right? That that one has a little bit more um, service tied into its into its uh, stack offering, right? So Magento is like, hey, just download what you want. It's open source, like it's mm -hmm. free. Just go get it. But then what the hell do I do with it, right? Mm -hmm. So where Shopify is, is comes a different approach, saying, you know, you have an account wrap, you you know, you get this level of uh, automation, you get this level of service, you get this level of processing, et cetera, for this level of, um, uh, uh, you know, buying the tier, uh, you know, uh, of, of offering. So, um, you know, at, at Smile Direct, we didn't have a massive, we we're direct to consumer, but we didn't have a massive um, e-commerce. I mean, we're not selling a lot of uh, aligners without going through, you know, legal processes like getting getting a, a prescription written by a, a licensed doctor. So we didn't have any other products really than that. We had a few now, like light whitening pens mm. and and um, toothbrushes and toothpastes and things that now you can buy off of a e-commerce site. But that volume is very minimal versus the the company size. So something like Shopify works very well even for a larger company like SmileDirect. Got it. That's really good and useful information. Um, which leads to that really elegantly to the next question. And you've talked about um, this one, but I'm going to just ask you to put a couple of fine points on some of the things that you mentioned, which is how do I prioritize my investment? Yeah. So again, I, I highly cannot stress this enough. Before you start taking calls or saying, I need this, 
please do even a, just a crude customer journey. And you can do it by, there's only two parts of a journey, right? You're either trying to sell something, sell somebody, or retain somebody. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, your acquisition or retention. So you, know, you can even just say, okay, I, I, I just want to focus on the acquisition side of the business for now. Or I just want to focus on the retention slash how do I move a buyer into an advocate, you know, uh, so a loyalty loop type thing. Um, and so that just, just from a, you know, stickies on a whiteboard or, you know, draw it a long, long line on a 11 by 17 piece of paper and, and really say, okay, where, you know, where are the appropriate, uh, needs of the customer? Um, that's where I would, I, I would put my, my prioritization on, on, on those opportunities to, um, to place my bets. Um, you know, it, it, yes, we, we, we spoke about it a little, a little earlier, but it, it bears repeating in terms of um, gaining that confidence of you know where I could where I can spend my money because there's it's you can spend your money in there's as a buyer right I've bought on behalf uh, as an agency person as a brand buyer etc there's always more supply than demand anybody the whole the whole the whole game of, of a seller including us at Smart Direct is to create a sense of urgency like you need this more than anything else and you need it right now. <laughs> That's, mm -hmm. I, you know, and I, I'm a marketer, but I can call bullshit on myself. Like that is a little bit of bullshit. <laughs> and, you know, th what you really need to understand is what do my customers need right now? Not do what do I need right now? Yes. And so that is, uh, you know, if you can remember anything, just remember that. And then from there, it's don't overcomplicate it because the more, the, you know, the more you have to explain how something works or how this is going to connect with that or whatever, or how these things are going to be integrated, the more things are going to break. So mm -hmm. the KISS rule works very well still today in 2020 when you can do anything in a very complex way and I'm learning about how to buy Bitcoin or whatever the heck's going on, right? Like, uh, doesn't matter, right? I mean, go buy your Bitcoin if you like. Whatever. I don't really understand it, but that's fine. The whole point is the, the customers just want, their, they just want their back scratched as easily and as quickly as humanly possible so they can move on with the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And they will remember that. And whether you're a restaurant or a tax provider or a, you know, a CPG product or, you know, a car company, it doesn't matter. It really just doesn't matter. It really just uh, focuses on, you know, where I can actually improve that experience. And, and as a marketer, try and minimize the amount of time and number of experiences it takes for that person to then get comfortable with that relationship. Mm -hmm. That's the trick. Well, and I think also making sure it's not too salesy and it's actually authentic, however you end mm -hmm. up doing that, because I think that's another danger that constantly comes up is, to your point, serving yourself, being too pushy versus yeah. listening and authentically delivering to the customer. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, I mean, you and I are customers. We're all consumers. You know, we know somebody's trying to sell us. Like, if that's <laughs> expected, but respect us, uh -huh. too. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's not just as much as like, hey, don't be salesy. You can you can sell. You just have to be respectful and yes, authentic, of mm -hmm. course, always. Yeah, really good point. So our last in the trenches question is for April. April, I'm a totally online business. How can I make more emotional connections to improve my customer experience and stand out? Yeah, so we've talked about a lot of this already, you know, making sure that you're really listening to your customer, consumer, embracing their needs, speaking to them, using human language, all of those types of things. And what it really ends up coming down to is focusing on your brand. So that means 
humanizing your brand, making sure it's authentic, like we were just talking about, and really dialing into the three questions that we ask, which are, who am I, how am I different, and why would you want me? And constantly going back to those questions and making sure that you are super clear on the answers and how you're going to bring the answer answers about your brand to life across different interfaces. So one of the things we talk about all the time is is the, your about page on your website. Now more than ever, we feel like you really have to be intentional and crystallize why people would want to work with you there beyond just any sort of commodity. I can get this product, this service, whatever from you. Because like we've been talking about throughout the course of this episode, there is so much left less human interaction. So you're not going into a store, you're not able to pick up products, but you're also not interacting with salespeople, all of those types of things. So the more that the experience can be human, the better. Um, Very specifically, this can also mean showing more people. So can you create videos that are helpful? You know, we love our podcast. Can you have a podcast that really gives the essence of who you are while also giving useful information to your customers? Can you feature people that work at your company? We've been advising a lot of people on that. If they're not going to be spending time with them, introduce them, let them be featured, let them see a human face connected to whatever brand or business you're talking about. Really focusing on the emotional benefit and what the customer or consumer is looking for and subsequently getting for you versus just trying to sell widgets or whatever the items are that you're trying to to push. Yeah, I think you know, that's a really, really, really good point. And it really comes down again to the fact that if you're dealing with like in digital, like a flat, albeit like experience to some extent where you really have visual and sound, you're going to have to work a little bit more in order to create those emotional connections, which means using more of your marketing channels to surround the consumer to remind them why you're there as mm-hmm. a brand. So the who am I, why am I different, and why do you want me? So really leveraging those in a very consistent way, using your brand elements all the way through, it allows you to have more touch points with your consumer in order to create those emotional connections. So that is uh, super powerful. And our third and final segment is a real-world example of a brand who's doing this well or not so well. But I have a feeling that Brian's going to tell us about one who's doing it well. And they've given tons of examples already, but try to pull us all together into, into one brand. So we're going to let him take this one. Uh, thanks so much. You're absolutely right. Uh, very you know, happy to share one example I think you guys will like that's non-traditional, but shows the power of, of what all these bots and automation can really do. You know, especially as a direct to consumer companies. I mean, you know, everything is all about okay, how many, how how many conversions did I get today for my marketing spend? Right, mm-hmm. Smile Direct Club, mm-hmm. basically the same exact conversation day in and day out on, on that same path. But there is a value to building a, a brand relationship between uh, each other as well for two reasons. One, it drives efficiency in conversion marketing. Mm-hmm. Right, it absolutely makes it cheaper because people then have a preconceived notion of positivity. Hopefully, if it's a good brand relationship. Um, between you and and the brand, and therefore any type of conversion marketing should work a little better, which then funds brand marketing. So one, it could be self self funding proposition, but two, you know, at some point, the you know you will you will then become com- you've now commoditized yourself, right? Like there there will be a point at which anybody who considers you will only consider you based upon features and functionality, and that's it. And so if that was the case. Right, Coca Cola would be gone a long time ago mm-hmm. because 
not everybody likes Coke versus something. I know most people do, but you know, in terms of its features, functionality, the taste, but also, you know, there's, there's a brand love there that actually is worth more than the actual products itself. It's why it's, 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 it's actually valued in its stock price. And we actually had a, a client, um, you know, at a different position, not at eBay, but uh, at a different job uh, that was worked with, with Anheuser-Busch. And so we did a lot of their sports and entertainment marketing, ran their NFL deal, their, you know, MLB deal and all that stuff. And that's all brand, right? No problem. But, but as it goes back to really the conversation we've had today in terms of automation and botting and everything else, how do you go out and sell more Bud Light, which is, you know, on a product feature and functionality perspective, not necessarily the best thing, uh, you know, versus a lot of other more fuller beers or flavorful opportunities or, you know, potentially even some 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 semi-negative brand experiences based depending on you know how your college days went etc <laughs> so you know there there's 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 some hurdles there and but the, you know one of the things that they've gotten better at over the over the past only couple of years is really trying to automate that relationship in a way that's very personalized and very uh brand, on brand as well at the same time right so they've never had really a crm uh, outfit before there obviously there's some there's, there's some legal uh Limitations that they are they have to play within being a federally controlled substance, um, but now you know those are not to loosen. You have companies and partners like Drizzly who direct to consumer. They're partnering with them. They're learning out from their fan, you know, their customers now that not only that this person is 23 years old and lives in you know Columbus, Ohio, but that they're a huge Browns fan. <laughs> they you know they they go on three vacations a year to these types of destinations. They drink. On average, you know, five nights a week and have three drinks per night, you know, whatever it is. Um, and they can use that information to start sending individualized push messaging, geo-targeting, uh, geofencing, um, SMS, you know, uh, you know, opt-in, uh, opt-in CRM and email, um, that type of stuff, which they've never done before. You know, they've just basically just done shopper marketing, right, Prom- you know, trade promotions and advertising. Um, and that's it. Um, and now all of a sudden they can start having one-on-one relationships, automating those relationships, you know, scheduling deliveries just like you would like the Tide button, right? Mm-hmm. On you know, <laughs> on uh, for C- for uh, P and G and things like that. You can you can start doing those things. And so you can see where even on some products you would think that would never need to automate or to bot or to have a customer service arm, which for them by the way is all social and digital, right? They they have different different uh, ad handles. For everything, and Delta Airlines is another good one too. Delta's uh, been, you know, written up a ton of times for great, great examples there. And you know, these are the types of things that you can think about, even if you think you have, oh, I ha- I sell, you know, cookies, right? Mm-hmm. And I just need to, you know, create a create a online shopping cart and put out some advertising to get some eyeballs to the shopping cart, and do some, you know, uh, do some, you know, corporate sales and, and be done. Right. There's many, many more ways you can be creative using these, all of these things we spoke about, that the four ways and, and the bots and the automation and all that stuff. Doesn't have to be expensive. Doesn't have to be overcomplicated. It could be as small as, you know, um, an automated message on your birthday and an invitation for, you know, a warm chocolate chip cookie, you know, delivered to your home or whatever it is. So, um, and all that can be a, completely just triggered. You don't have to do a penny other than pay for it. Um, so, so these, this is a great way, I think, to, to really wrap it all up in terms of bringing, you know, all these different desperate things that you think would be only relevant for, you know, customer service phone lines that you call 
and how to apply all of these things to acquisition, to uh, you know advocacy, um, you know to uh, non-traditional industry verticals, etc. Yeah, that is an extremely good example of um, pull, somebody that's been pulling it all together and then has a vision for how to incorporate it going forward. Brian, tell us now where people can find out more about you. Uh, sure, thanks. Uh, been a little bit, uh, a little all over these days as a marketer uh, in you know the thirteenth month of twenty twenty for some people. <laughs> um, you know, you have to get a little creative, and we've been talking about that the entire time. So while there's been you know reduction in budgets, reduction in staff, reduction in in hiring, those types of things, you know, there doesn't mean there's there's reduction in need, especially on on working with those people who have really uh, come up with great ideas, uh, just like we spoke about that, that dentist a little earlier. So a couple of things that are going on. The primary one is, is with a, uh, a fantastic new um, uh, model for uh, marketing services and consultancy. Um, it basically is called, you know, it, the model exists already, a, a fractional executive model, but we've been doing it for different industry verticals that didn't necessarily have that. So there's a company called Next Up. Uh, it has two sides to it, Next Up Ventures, which is our investment arm uh, into startups and, and, and uh, Series A's. And we're doing, we do monthly demo days and roadshows. And then Next Up uh, Partners, which is the services arm across all sorts of marketing uh, parts and pieces within the pie and the puzzle. Lots of P's, alliteration going on <laughs> strongly today. Um, that allows us to, to bring upwards of 40 experts basically on an hourly rate. So you're getting the services of a true full service agency with no overhead, right? There, we don't have offices. We don't have, you know, rent. We don't have, you know, all that stuff. We basically just have uh, a couple of people pay our accountant and our website and our ISP and then call it a day. And, and we, we've been at, luckily uh, able to launch this in August. Uh, you can go to nextuppartners.com. Uh, it's two P's next up and then partners.com. Um, or you can find me, Brian Bolton on LinkedIn uh, and happy to connect as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Brian. You definitely added, as promised, a lot of depth and breadth to this topic of four realities about digital interfaces and AI that can help you improve your customer experience. And with that, we welcome all of our listeners to go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts. <laughs>